What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 54, The First Circumnavigation of the Globe, part two. In the very first episode of this podcast, I talked about how the Americas were first populated. I also talked about some of the less accepted theories as to how this happened. One of the theorists I mentioned was Thor Heyerdahl. He believed that there had been contact between the Polynesian people of the Pacific and the South American peoples. He built a boat out of only the materials and using only the techniques that would have been available to people at the time, and he sailed from Peru to French Polynesia to prove that his theory was possible. His theory about the contact between the Polynesian people and the people of the Americas are quite complex and most of it is far from accepted or proven. However, the results of a new study have just been published, which potentially suggest that at least part of his theory could be correct. It seems there are traces of indigenous South American DNA in the population of French Polynesia today, including in the population of the very island that Thor Heyerdahl ended up on. Now I have to give some caveats here. This is just one study, so more evidence is needed to say anything conclusive. The use of DNA is a method of working out which populations are related to which, and where peoples were at different times, is currently imprecise and in its infancy. There is still a lot we don't understand about how to interpret DNA data. It's thought, based on these findings, that a small group of people left today's Colombia or possibly Ecuador, around 800 years ago, and presumably settled on some of the Pacific Islands. If true, this wouldn't have been a large exchange of population, but it is potentially a significant change in our understanding of the indigenous people of northern South America, and of Polynesia. Hopefully more work will be done on the subject in the near future, and we can learn more. Today we're following another trip across the Pacific and finishing off the story of the first circumnavigation of the globe. When we left off last time, Magellan was camped out at the Santa Cruz River in Patagonia, waiting out the winter and seeing off mutinies. The next stage of the journey would finally give him something to be happy about, although there would be yet more setbacks. Three days after they had judged the weather good enough to carry on the journey, they reached a cape, and behind this was a bay which led to a channel. This was the one that would lead them through to the Pacific. Once inside the bay, though, they were hit by another storm. They had, of course, already lost one ship, and now two of the four surviving ones 
were blown out into the Atlantic, where they found shelter on the coast. The other two found themselves washed further into the bay, until they ended up inside the strait. At this point the expedition had not known that this channel existed, so when, three days later, the ships managed to find each other, they all decided to find out where it led. Where it led was another huge channel with numerous bays, which turned southwards before narrowing into a mosaic of tiny islands and watercourses. The Strait of Magellan, as it's now called, is spectacular, but it would have been very difficult to navigate. There are almost infinite paths a ship can take, and if you don't know where you're going, it would be very easy to get lost and fail to find the way through. If you haven't seen pictures of this part of the world, imagine the fjords of Scandinavia, or New Zealand, but on a much larger scale. At one point, the expedition was met by an island, and it was unclear which way to go. Magellan split the expedition so that both routes could be explored. After a few days, they were to meet up and report on what they had found. One of the ships never came back. Magellan waited for them, and while he did this, he sent one of the other ships to continue exploring the most likely-looking route. A few days later, this ship returned, with the news that they had done it. They had found the way out of the Straits and into the Pacific. This was massive news. However, rather than sailing straight onwards, Magellan and his three remaining ships spent the next few weeks looking for their missing colleagues. They never found them, and 30 out of the 40 days they spent inside the strait were taken up with the search. They spent a considerable amount of time looking, and considering how precarious their situation was, this makes Magellan look good. Including the time they had taken before they split up, they could have been out of there within 15 to 20 days, rather than 40. Eventually, though, they had to give up, and so they continued onwards into the Pacific. It was now time for the next problem. Things were not about to get easier. Nobody knew how far it was between the American coast and Asia. Discovering this was part of the reason for the expedition. Most people, however, still significantly underestimated the size of the Pacific. Underestimations were what made Columbus believe that the Americas were Asia. There wasn't supposed to be room for another continent there. And although it was generally accepted that this was a new continent, people still thought that the world was smaller than it was. So the unexpectedly long journey, coupled with the stop in Patagonia, meant that there was not enough food to last the duration of the journey. The expedition sailed a short distance up the Chilean coast, before turning to head northwest. Now there are of course a number of tiny islands in the Pacific, but with no knowledge of them, and as the islands are so small, with the exception of two uninhabited atolls, the expedition missed them. People started dying of hunger and scurvy. After over three months, they finally reached land, the Mariana Islands. The inhabitants came out to meet them, but quickly began stealing things from the ship, including one of their small boats. This led to a confrontation, 
and a subsequent raid of the villages by the Europeans. Magellan ordered a harsh retaliation for the stealing. He did not give them the name Mariana Islands. He called them Las Islas Ladrones, the Isles of Thieves. After about three days they moved on, and next they reached the Philippines. This was the first time Europeans had been there, and through conversations with the indigenous people, they would have discovered that they were very close to the Spice Islands. Magellan apparently had a Malaysian slave with him, who he had obtained during his earlier life when he'd been fighting there with the Portuguese. Upon arrival, he discovered that his slave could speak to the people they encountered. This was definitive proof that they had almost made it. Rather than continuing on, the expedition would spend about a month and a half in the Philippines. The stopover wasn't really necessary, and Magellan would end up paying for the decision. These islands were home to a complex collection of small kingdoms engaged in their own pre-existing rivalries. While in Mexico, Cortes managed to quickly read the local political situation and use it to his advantage, Magellan did not. He made an alliance with one local leader and started trying to convert the population to Christianity. Then he carried on to the island of Cebu, where he attempted to do the same thing. The leader there managed to draw him into local politics by pointing out that one of his enemies was refusing to embrace Christianity. Magellan set off to tell this enemy leader that he must convert, and when the leader refused, Magellan attacked. The battle did not go well. Magellan was killed. Now weakened, the Europeans elected two men to be their new leaders, and went back to what they believed was their ally on Cebu. A dinner was held for 30 of the highest-ranking Europeans, but this turned out to be a trap, and they were all massacred. One of the two leaders was left alive, and the Cebuans tried to ransom him to the remaining Europeans. They refused, and the Spaniard was left there while they sailed off. The expedition had lost a lot of men in the Philippines, and it no longer had enough to sail all three of their remaining ships. The decision was made to abandon one, and to consolidate the remaining men into two crews. They carried on, but despite being so close to the Spice Islands, it took them another six months to find them. The newest leader was forced to give up his power in a mutiny, and they ended up resorting to piracy in order to survive. Eventually, when they did reach the Spice Islands, luckily for them, they were welcomed by the local sultan, and they were able to trade. They got hold of the spices they needed to prove that they had been there, but when they tried to leave, they encountered yet another problem. One of the ships was damaged and taking on water. They were forced to return to repair it. The crew of the undamaged ship did not want to hang around, so it was decided that they would split up. This ship would continue home across the Indian Ocean and up around Africa. The other would be repaired, and then, I don't really know why this was thought to be a good idea, it would sail back across the Pacific and the crew would go across land 
presumably at Davila's Panama colony, and from there they would make their way across the Atlantic and back to Spain. By this point, the Portuguese had themselves managed to reach Indonesia, across the Indian Ocean. As soon as the ship had been repaired and set off, it ran into a Portuguese fleet, and it was captured. It sat empty at an outpost the Portuguese had established there, and then not long later, a storm came through and wrecked it. So now there was only one ship out of the original five left, and 20 more of its crew would die of starvation on the way across the Indian Ocean and up the coast of Africa. In desperation, they stopped at the Cabo Verde Islands, a Portuguese possession, and they said that they were returning from the Americas. The reason the Portuguese had been able to detain the other ship in Indonesia was because they were in the territory that had been given to Portugal by the Treaty of Tordesillas. Despite their rivalry, the Portuguese would have been unable to legally do anything to a Spanish ship which was returning from the Americas, as this was in the Spanish zone of control. It was soon discovered, though, that the ship at Cabo Verde was full of Asian spices, so 13 of the crew were arrested. The rest of them escaped on the ship, and eventually they limped home to Spain. It had taken three years, and only 18 men made it back. About a month later, the 13 men arrested in Cabo Verde were released, and they too made it home. Five of those arrested by the Portuguese in Asia would eventually make their way to Spain. They would come one by one, and it would take them years. The man who had captained the ship home was Juan Sebastián Elcano, and because of this, the expedition is usually referred to as the Magellan Elcano Expedition. The survivors were not given a hero's welcome. Despite proving that the western route to the Spice Islands was possible, it had taken them three years, and rounding the American continent required so much effort that it was not clear if the route, while possible, was viable. There was another reason for the tepid response, however. While the expedition had been searching for that ship which had disappeared in the Strait of Magellan, the ship was already making its way back up South America's Atlantic coast. Its crew had made the deliberate decision to abandon their mission. Once back in Spain, they had been arrested as deserters. However, to justify their actions, they painted a picture of Magellan as a mad tyrant who was leading them all to destruction. They said that they were the real loyalists, and they were largely believed. Even those who made it back, after successfully completing the journey, went along with this version of events. Some, including El Cano, had taken part in the rebellion at Puerto San Julián. The writer Pigafetta survived the trip, and despite having kept a detailed record, he was not invited to give his account of things. He had been loyal to Magellan, but he was ignored. So what are we to make of the Magellan-Elcano expedition? On the one hand, this was one of the most important events in the age of European discovery. It will influence the direction of humanity as a whole. Nobody had managed to sail all the way around the world before. On the other hand, it was a disaster. 
Everything went wrong, most people died, and the Spanish won't end up exploiting their new route to Asia. The crew was full of treachery and scheming. Everyone seemed willing to betray everyone, at every opportunity, and being the leader, Magellan had to deal with the brunt of it. He was clearly capable, and it's impressive that he managed to hold everything together, through the mutinies, the unexpected winter months in Patagonia, and the long Pacific crossing. We know from his previous career, though, that he was probably of a similar character to the enemies he had in his ranks. His decision to mess around in the Philippines proved to be a very bad one. The Spanish did gain something from the expedition, even if it was considered a failure at the time. They will eventually gain the Philippines. We will discuss this, the Spice Islands, and the future of the Treaty of Tordesillas in a future episode. But I will say now that the Philippines will become an important part of their empire. They will establish a vital and well-used maritime route between the Philippines and Mexico in the future. The expedition opens up a new chapter in European exploration and colonisation. The world was now smaller. Huge gaps in the map had started to be filled in, and coupled with Cortez's actions in Mexico and Central America, this is a big step forward in the development of the idea that overseas empire is something that all the other European countries should probably start looking into. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America and that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T If you have any comments or questions feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM and if you've liked the show you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes alternatively if you visit the website you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos most of these are my own taken during my time in Latin America all these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop you can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo that's spelt www.etsy.com slash m-a-x-s-e-r-j-e-a-n-t photo thanks for listening five thousand dollars that's the average amount of money people in the u.s are now spending on gas in a year five grand that's crazy if you drive you have to download upside the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas that's right you can earn real cash back with upside just by buying the gas you're already buying you can literally start earning cash back today i use upside every time i fill up and i've already made around two three hundred dollars you're putting gas in your car anyway why not get real cash back if you like free money download upside i'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.